we often talk about the physical toll a career in the military has on you. Uh, all our knees and shoulders are shot. And, but I, not a whole lot of people talk about um, the mental toll it takes because it's, you can't see it. You can't see your mind, right? And being able to talk about that and letting folks know that it's, it's all right if you're, if you're struggling. Uh, and if you are in that dark spot that I think if you are in that dark spot, reaching out to people, uh, whether it's a teammate or a doctor or something like that, is a better route than making a decision that you can't come back from. A very special edition of Veterans Voice. We are shattering the silence today. And today you're going to hear from three operators, as they call themselves, part of a very, very close brotherhood as they're going to describe these three men are veterans. They are Green Berets. We don't hear from the uh, Green Berets very often. One of the topics for discussion, in addition to them sharing some of their stories, the good, the bad, and the very ugly as can happen in that world, we're going to be talking as well about suicide, a very important discussion, uh, because these guys want to get that conversation out of the shadows. They want the brotherhood to know and their fellow warriors to know that it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to go and get help. With that, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Mr. Paul Watson and then Dean Goble and Chris Lee. Uh, Paul, why don't we start with you and tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. Yeah, um, Paul Watson, uh, retired CW2 out of 10 Special Forces Group. Uh, spent 22 years in the military, 13 years as Special Forces um, and for the last few years of my life, I've been working with the Special Forces Foundation. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, uh, I, I joined the Army as kind of a fluke. It was joined the National Guard. Uh, Dad said he couldn't pay for college. I was like, oh, I'll take care of it. And then uh, set my date for basic training September 25th of 2001. And uh, so two weeks before I was leaving for basic training, Obviously, the world changed a little bit, uh, scared out of my mind as an 18-year-old kid, and then come to find out that I actually loved being in the military, loved going to Afghanistan, being around the, the, uh, the brotherhood, like you said, and made a career out of it. And uh, now I've switched over to the foundation and making a career out of that and trying to give back to the community that's given so much to me. Right beside you, Mr. Dean Goble. Yes, that. So um, I'm CW3 Dean Goble. I retired out of 10 Special Forces Group as well. Um, before that, you know, I served in the infantry for a few years before I decided to become or move into Special Forces. So it's been a, a great part of my life. And then, as you mentioned earlier on the topic, you know, just uh, suicide is something that has affected me greatly throughout my life in many different facets. So I'm just here to kind of, you know, give the details on that. Well, you're, you're already giving us a little bit of a glimpse into some of what we're going to hear today. You guys are, you're going to be raw. You're going to be real. You're going to yeah. tell the truth. You're going to tell your stories. And um, as I say, some good, some bad, some very ugly stuff. But the idea is to, as we say, shatter that silence, get this discussion out of the shadows. Chris, let's go to you. Yes, my name is Chris Lee. Uh, I enlisted when I was 28, spent 10 years in the Army. Seven of that was in the Special Forces. Paul was one of my first teammates on the first team that I went to when I got to group. Uh, we've been pretty good friends ever since. Uh, and now I help out when I can with the Special Forces Foundation. And when he invited me to uh, participate in this talk, I was pretty excited because, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's something that needs to be 
uh, talked about more. So some more guys know that there's resources out there to, to help them when they're in their dark spots. Nobody is doing this by themselves, but uh, you guys' culture is really quite demanding. Mm -hmm. uh, Dean, I want to refer to uh, some of the conversation you were having with uh, your brothers as uh, we were gearing up to get this started today. And you talked about uh, not having a real public identity for 20 some odd years. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things uh, kind of bred into you from day one. Uh, you know, one of our, we're also known as the quiet professionals and, and we take that very seriously. So like uh, the idea of, you know, being on a magazine or, you know, being on even a podcast like we're doing right now is something that, you know, you mentioned that to an SF, a Green Beret, you'll see them shy away really quick. 90% of them will. Yeah. And I would have. Yeah. Six months ago. Probably. I would have never thought in my life I would be sitting here behind a microphone talking to you. But with that being said, it's, uh, you know, suicide and mental health is, is something that affects everyone. And, you know, it, it affects us. And it's something that we should definitely talk about more. And I think it's uh, the idea. And I think why we're all here today is to, to kind of, uh, you know, articulate that it's okay to not be okay. And hey, we can discuss this and we can be vulnerable by, you know, and then, you know, hopefully provide some resources. Uh, you know, God willing, I can kind of, you know, tell my story to some degree. And I, I hope it inspires somebody that's sitting on the couch is just like, you know what, I'm going to make that phone call too. You know, I don't have to be quiet about this. And that that's kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, working with the foundation, it took me a really, really long time <clears throat> to get up and talk about myself. Because I'm now I'm around donors, I'm around people that want to hear the story. And for the first few years, it was just really weird, super weird. But then I realized how much impact it made with just one story, telling a donor. You know, it could mean thousands of dollars. It could mean, could mean a friendship for life. It could mean saving someone's life. So I feel like with the question you asked Dean is, you know, now that these guys have been helping out with the foundation, now that we have this, you know, with Mount Carmel here, if we don't speak up, we're kind of wasting the opportunity. So that's why we're, that's why we're here today is to make sure that, you know, we have, we have a, a, a platform now. And so we, we, I don't want to waste that. And that's why I'm so happy these guys came here today to, to speak about this. <clears throat> Can you put into perspective just how unusual this conversation really is? It's hard. You want that one, Chris? <laughs> no, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, th this conversation is important because um, maybe I could put it this way. We, we often talk about the physical toll a career in the military has on you. Uh, all our knees and shoulders are shot. and But uh, not a whole lot of people talk about um, the mental toll it takes because it's you can't see it. You can't see your mind, right? And being able to talk about that and letting folks know that it's it's all right if you're if you're struggling uh, and if you are in that dark spot that I think if you are in that dark spot reaching out to people uh, whether it's a teammate or a doctor or something like that is a better route than uh, making a decision that you can't come back from you know what I mean. Say with our mentality, and sorry, I feel like I'd hop in on everything, but like it just as per usual. But our our mentality is as operators, which is still weird to say that. It is. Um, <laughs> as special forces guys, better. Uh 
is mission first. Always, always, always mission first. And unfortunately, I put my my put the mission in front of my family for a long time too. But what, what we all did did for sure is put the mission in front of our mental health. And that's what we're here to talk about is shattering that silence is, is now that we have the opportunity to sit, sit back and we don't have, we have a mission now and it's to this. Um, <clears throat> but these guys that are still in it, they're still mission first. So we want them to talk about it. And, but the, that's why it's so weird is because man, my mental problems, we'll, we'll fix that later. We'll fix that later. We'll, we'll deal with that later. But now we, that's why we want, we're here is to, to make sure that, these guys start talking about it make it normal make it normal yeah, i will say though and i mean you guys can correct me just in the last 10 years though i do feel like we've made huge gains mm -hmm. i mean being you know back in you know a while ago you know when i first showed up the group it was like paul was saying it was a complete afterthought i mean you were shoot move communicate medicate that's what you did you know 24 7 the idea the only reason why you went to the dock is because you hurt your leg they patch you up to put you back out and you're flying again but the amount of resources we have today like the summit behavioral health you name it the thor facilities who does everything from like physical therapy you know you name it uh we've just come a really long way however you know i, I personally i still believe we, there's more we can do unfortunately there's still people out there that think that if they go to behavioral health they're gonna take their guns away <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is, yeah, which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, we you hear know, those gonna, stories. Yeah. Which is gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt your career if you if you go say I have PTSD. But what I try to tell these guys, you know, what's gonna hurt your career is when you mess up and you finally flip out. That's what's gonna hurt your career. It's not you admitting that you have a problem. It's when that problem finally massacizes as a domestic violence case, as suicide, as something that's way worse than just coming up and saying I have a problem. This next part of the discussion is going to get real. It's going to get raw. I want you to be prepared for it and here to help you through that. Uh, not only to help the three of you gentlemen get through this conversation is a member of the Veterans Voice team that we're very honored and privileged to have with us, Ms. Cindy Santafonte. Cindy has had her own experience and uh, she might share that. Uh, Cindy will leave that up to you, of course. but. What I'm going to do now is uh, turn this over to Cindy, to Chris, to Dean, and to Paul, and you're going to get a dose of reality that maybe you've never experienced before. Cindy? Well, thanks, Ted, so much for welcoming me. I appreciate having the opportunity to sit here, especially with all three of you guys. And, you know, just in my personal experiences, I've had the opportunity to get to know each and what every one of you in some shape, way, or form, I would say, you know, it really all kind of started with with Paul and talking about our backstory and our dynamic. I never would have thought, as you had mentioned a few minutes ago, that you would have been sitting in a room here, opening up and sharing your story. And that is so beautiful. Um, and I really appreciate that partnership that we've been able to cultivate. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard. Like you guys had mentioned, it's not an easy thing to do to sit here and, and talk about those kind of lived experiences. But I think you and I really initially connected um, through that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's, you know, goes back to it is, you know, even when we first talk, started talking, I didn't give you everything. I didn't tell you everything. I didn't, you know, come out and say, "Hey, this is who I am." I, I might have, but <laughs> probably <laughs> but, did. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I talk a lot, but um, no, there was. But yeah. But as as we go on and as we make these relationships, mm -hmm. obviously, you get more candid, more transparent, um, and then with that, understanding that transparency, it's starting to help people. Just mm -hmm. you and I are helping people. 
you know, so then, you know, sitting down here, why not do this? Right. Because now we have an opportunity to help even more people just by telling stories and being transparent to the world. And you said something kind of important too. And I don't know, you know, if you want to touch on that or Dean or Chris, but I think that's a very unique situation within the SF community is that you have to build some sort of trust or reputation or respect or, you know, have some sort of connection yourself, I think, in order to really have that almost sense of connectiveness. Um, This isn't something that really was just like overnight, you guys are going to be here and, uh, you know, show up and Mm -hmm. just uh, bear it to the world. Right. So (laughs) we're not telling some homeless guy in the corner. Right. No, exactly. (laughs) I mean, maybe if he has a a radio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But no, I mean, I mean, that's that's a very unique part of it. And usually the people who only hear about the struggles, the internal ones that you guys are you know, here talking about today is your closest family and friends. And even then, you know, sometimes it's kept at bay far enough away where you can put it under the rug until eventually, as Paul had mentioned, it pops up one day and now you're left to deal with the aftermath, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up a good point. I mean, because while you all you're connected with these guys that you work with for years, you know, there is this, uh, just call it like it is kind of like this egotistic mindset of, you know, you just don't want to look weak in front of, you know, the guys that you train with constantly. And I know when I was a young SF guy, I I definitely made that mistake. I would definitely try to my best to kind of hide my faults as much as possible because your reputation's everything. Mm -hmm. You can't go anywhere. Like even today, if I go to the supermarket right now, I'll probably run into an SF guy that says, Hey Dean, or even if I don't know them just by the way I walk, they're going to be like, you're an SF guy. And I'll be like, Mm -hmm. you're an SF guy. We can pick each other out. So, (laughs) you know, so your reputation's always around you. So there for the longest time, you know, you take that very seriously and, you know, for better or worse, you know, you, you, you hide some of the things maybe you shouldn't and you should bring up. Mm -hmm. Also with that too, is like, if you show weakness in a team room of 12 guys, <laughs> yeah, that pounds on you. The, you are going to get tore up for the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, a good, in a good way. Is this yeah, a, it's because it's, it's brothers. Not, is this yeah. a lived experience, Chris, that you've gone through? It's still today, even yeah. though I've been out of the army for a year and a half. Like, and, But you guys are absolutely right. And we all go through the same Q course together. So as soon as you show up to the team, there is a semblance of like, all right, you've at least cut the mustard to this point but every day in the team room you still have to earn your spot earn your green beret every Every day day. um but as you as you grow with your team you there's this like you you will kill or die for these guys without hesitation and or punch them in the face or or punch (laughs) them in the face some guys some guys need it and but but to to be willing to to do that to go to that extreme if necessary you don't ever want to come across as though you wouldn't be able to because then you're not you're not good to your team if you can't Mm -hmm. if you can't make that happen so if you if you do show that weakness and it's different than like the weakness that everybody would pounce on because because that's that's appropriate that keeps everybody sharp but like if you are on if you are struggling with something it's scary to bring up because you don't want to come across like you can't do your job Unreliable. The, the job is everything. Yeah. Unreliable. Reliability is probably one of the biggest traits as a special forces guy, as an SF guy. Mm-hmm. Because if you're at any point in time deemed unreliable, mm-hmm. you're one going to get kicked off the team or shunned. Yep. Right. You know, like no one will, no one, no one's going to talk to you. Like, because if you're not a reliable source, if they don't trust you to the right or left of them, mm-hmm. then 
it's you're it's you're you're useless basically so we always try every day to be a reliable operator how has that gone because all three of you i mean sitting here in front of me in each different way you guys are pretty much all leaders supporting you know what used to be the mission this is now your mission um you know for instance chris uh i know you do life coaching you're very successful um with social media and you're helping kind of empower guys through through that role mm -hmm. um dean i understand that you're in the process of looking towards what's next in your career, but you're starting to make some movements in the public speaking arena, working with uh, different elected officials and trying to make, you know, more hype around this issue. And Paul, you know, with the Special Forces Foundation. But what I'm trying to ask is when you guys initially kind of all started funneling your efforts into this role, I mean, was there any sort of chain reaction or any criticism or anybody that was kind of not in support of you guys standing up and trying to have that respectability outside? I'll say when I first started this, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I tried to d dive in head first because I loved it. But then um, last year, I almost had a heart attack. Uh, had a bad EKG. Uh, it all ended up being anxiety and stress. Um, so ended up, you know, going on Prozac and then, but <clears throat> my boss for the foundation brought me on full time. Um, and because I got pulled off a team and I lost my purpose. So I found my purpose with this, but when I really like fully started doing this, I was like almost a full time. I was doing an internship. A lot of people around the company where I used to work, were kind of surprised because let's be honest, I probably wasn't the greatest Green Beret in the entire world. <laughs> you know, that's pretty that's a pretty high mark to to hit. Um, but I, but I feel like I got a lot of respect after a while because when I first came in, people were like, "Huh, he's trying to help people," but he was he's all, that's old Chief Watson. Why is he Why is he doing that? <laughs> why is he doing that? Yeah, he was the one that uh. Always had to sit behind the computer instead of going to the range. Mm, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. but now, now as I walk around the tenth group compound, people are coming up to me constantly. My phone's going off, off all the time with people. Hey, can, hey, I need help with this. Blah blah blah. And so that feels really good. But the first initial was like, really? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to get to your question, Sydney, I mean, like, no, not really. I mean, the support out there. If I if I understood your question correctly, just. You know, it has been large. I mean, I really like it. everything from the Special Forces Foundation to the Green Beret Foundation to the Special Forces Association. You name it, the, the amount of resources, you know, to kind of get this topic out there. I haven't met a single person yet that is kind of shied away from it. It's just one of those things. I, I just think that there there's a there's a lot of priorities. And the problem is when there's so many priorities, nothing's a priority. Mm -hmm. And I think we're kind of at that impasse now with, uh, you know, behavior health. But uh, like I said earlier, though, I, I mean, I think that we're, you know, making waves so far, especially, you know, sitting here on a podcast now is a great step in the right direction, you know, and then uh, just, you know, like, uh, you know, they mentioned Fox earlier, you know, our behavioral health guy, the the amount of great work he's just done locally here at 10th yeah, group has been like astonishing, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it, it's all good things so far. You know, and, and I think you had kind of touched on something that I was going to ask in my next question. Um, and this is going to be a little bit of a harder question uh, and, you know, blunt honesty always, but, you know, with so many different resources, you guys all in this room, 
why is it that El Paso County still has one of the highest veteran suicide rates? Mm -hmm. Like, why are we still losing people with all of this traction that we're trying to do in the community? I mean, especially within special forces. And sometimes you don't really hear because that's just the name of the game um, when, unfortunately, someone dies by suicide. Um, but, you know, what do you think the, the reason behind that is? Because if I break my leg, you can see that I'm broken. Like, you can't see my mind, you know. If I just say I'm sad, well, suck it up, dude. I mean, that that's kind of the, the mentality that I had for a long time. Um, and maybe you guys have different opinions, but but I think the biggest part is why why we struggle to reach out for help is because if, if it's in the mind, I can't, I can't actually show you that I'm hurt. I can just talk about what's going on in my head. Uh, and, and I, one, I don't want to sound crazy. And two, I, I still want to be able to do my job. And so I know how long a bone takes to heal. I know how long, you know, a torn ligament takes to heal. Like the mind is this like ethereal thing that it's hard to touch, you know? And so how long does it take? You know, am I going to be out of a job, out of a purpose for months or years? Um, and that's, that's scary. I think that's scarier losing the purpose. And we've touched on it a little bit already, but losing the purpose is scarier than being broken. Um, and a lot of us would rather be broken and try to muscle through it than, than lose that purpose. Yeah. To add to that too, it just, I think, um, yeah, by no means am I an expert in this field, but just it seems like uh, from the things that I've saw is it's it's not as like evident over a long period of time. They can be with individuals, but the ones that I know of are the ones that literally will make you laugh every single day. Mm. They go around the hallways. You, you don't even see it. And then just a week later and boom, they completely change, you know, and they kind of go downhill extremely quickly. And it's just one of those like trying to get ahead of that and then being Johnny on the spot to kind of address that immediately, it, you know, may be a factor that the, you know, the, it's not that I, I wouldn't say it's the lack of anybody trying because I know there's so many great people out there that are trying to make a difference. I just know the kind of Chris's point, there are, there are people who hide it extremely well. Mm -hmm. You know, I was one of them. And then on the other hand, there, there are some that just, you know, they are having a great life. And then one of those significant factors come in, whether it's finances, relationships, you know, your sixth deployment or your friend who just recently killed himself. And before you know it, you were great, you know, 24 hours ago. And then for the next 72 hours, you were on the struggle bus and, you know, it's hard to recover. And so just maybe that, that may be a reason why it's so high here. Yeah. The last uh, 10th group suicide that we just had, um, I'm not going to say any names, um, but um, he had come to the foundation for help. He had come to behavior health on post. He, he was taking all the right steps. He, he, he literally was, was doing everything he was supposed to do to help his, his mental help health. And, um, and just, Went, went spiraled and just had a bad day. And, and it's just, that's what he, I, I feel like he didn't have this conversation ever. He had this conversation about his mental health, but he didn't have a conversation about other people's mental health also. And that's, you know, shadow the silence. It was like talking about this and understanding that he's not alone. Cause I mean, I couldn't personally, I, I couldn't personally understand how someone feels at that moment and how alone they feel at that moment. And that's where that shift is, is that 
you, you don't want these people to feel alone. But they can be doing all the right things. They can be taking all the right steps. But just at that moment, that absolute darkness, that absolute loneliness is what I want to try to have this conversation about today and, and having people know that no matter what, you're not alone. Yeah. But yeah, we need to. Yeah, that's that's yeah. No, that's I mean, that's a good point. And uh, I think it takes a lot of bravery to open up. And I really like what Chris said, because I think it resonates with a lot of people. It's easier definitely to uh, deal with a broken bone than deal with what's going on inside your head. I think I had this exact conversation with Paul a couple nights ago, um, and I struggle with it, too. You know, it's something that I try to put up a wall. I try to um, pretend like everything's fine and you just get through it. You know, um, you know, you try to heal, definitely. But I think what is harder is dealing with the aftermath and trying to be strong for other people. And I think depending on how you're raised, depending on what team you're in or military or if you're an operator or enlisted or officer, whatever it may be. I think it's different for everyone. And I think the circumstances, like you have to be strong sometimes. And I think that's kind of where, as Paul was mentioning, maybe people get caught up in it. They think that they're fine. Um, but then one day it just, it hits them out of nowhere. And uh, I think that's where the the problem really starts to begin. Um, I have a lot of friends in, in the counseling world. You know, I'm not a licensed professional by any means. Um, I've talked to a lot of people, helped a lot of people. Um, but one of, one of the things I always talk about with my counselor friends is counselors need counseling. Like we're all sitting here trying to help people, but we also also need to help ourselves Yeah. because we're just as susceptible to all this as right. anybody else. And when we f see people lose their lives, take their own lives, you know, that's, that's impact on us too. Mm -hmm. It's an impact on the world, but like for us guys out there, us people out there trying to help everybody, man, that's, you know. That last suicide, I got three texts. How did this one get away? How did we lose this one? So we need to like self-reflect too and say, hey, you know, we need help too. So, I mean, just asking the question, um, I mean, right now with all of you guys, you know, how are how are you guys doing, mm -hmm. you know, with all of the different walks and in your life and, and your lived experiences? I mean, how are you guys doing? I'll be completely honest with you. Chris can attest. I had a full breakdown last week. <laughs> uh I uh, didn't sleep real well one night and called the wife and completely just like broke down. She's been gone for a couple of weeks. So I've been sitting in the house. I haven't started my job. And, uh, and my wife called all my friends up and said, Hey, go help Paul. And they all came. It was awesome. It was really cool. But yeah, it's, it happens. I mean, you in I was, I was lucky enough to be able to open up to my wife and my wife was awesome enough to call my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I got help almost immediately. Mm. Um, and, and that again goes back to my, you're not alone thing. Right. So, um, but you know, I, I, it's a struggle every day. I go to counseling every day and not every day. Jeez. I go to counseling. You're mindfully practicing counseling every day, but not going to yeah. your counselor. Correct. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm mindful of my mental health every sure. day, but I, I, I will go to counseling for the rest of my life and I will always try to be mindful of my, my mental health um, and, and be transparent with myself as a, as a, as uh, and, and with all my friends and my family and everybody of like, Hey, 
It, Today, it, I'm not doing good. And you brought up a great point, too. Something that I don't think we shed enough life, uh, light on is just the spouses, too. You know, so just, you know, the, the spouses that, you know, and Paul can talk about this. Yeah, he's the only one still still married. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, they, they, you know, they do go through a lot, you know, of us being deployed constantly. I can't even imagine the amount of baggage that we bring back after every deployment, you know, and our mindsets and stuff. And so making sure that they're taken care of as well. And, you know, that they understand to look for signs and stuff because who are you around probably the most, you know, your significant other. And so, you know, like, like you just said, if it wasn't for Morgan right there, it could have been a completely different outcome for Paul. Yeah. But so, you know, just, I think my biggest question like with that, and this is something that, you know, other spouses who are listening to this and I understand there's been a lot of um, circumstances where spouses are left alone, even recently, you mm-hmm. know, unfortunately. But, you know, even in the situation of what I went through and I've shared in a previous podcast as well um, and online. But, you know, I tried to have conversations. I tried to sit there um, after every deployment. I tried mm-hmm. through the breakdowns, through like the physical, through the emotional. Um, and it was always just push, 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 deflect. Uh, there was no amount of of help that I could try to do. And eventually I had to protect myself and I had to yeah. search for a way out just to be able to survive. Um, you know, and I think I hold a lot of guilt for that, uh, because of the aftermath and what happened. But I guess what I'm trying to ask is how are we supposed to help, you know, specifically operators who are psychologically bred to like internalize and keep all of this in? And, you know, I mean, what are we supposed to do in that circumstance for spouses? Yeah, it's a hard question. The, the, the sad truth is to, to a very high degree is, we have to convince them, number one, to just, you know, acknowledge it, that it's a problem and normalize, then to see, it. And normalize mm-hmm. it and seek professional help. I mean, that yeah. that's now granted much easier said than done. But, the you know, I think for me, a turning point was is when, you know, one of my good friends, you know, somehow I wish I, you know, we would have recorded it so we could use it as an example, but somehow convinced me where I finally realized that I actually did have a problem. And up until that point, you asked me if I was okay, I would have, you know, clear as day convinced you like, yeah, I'm good. I'm just having a tough time right now, but it's nothing crazy, you know? And I was completely convinced of that, but somehow, you know, he, he was able to convince me. And then, you know, I I went to my first, you know, behavioral health session. And then I was like, wow, you know, working with a trained professional, you know, is kind of like a, you know, a good first step because they know how to deal with it much better than we do right now. We just, honestly have a lot of really good opinions at times, but at the end of the day, you know, setting behind a, you know, setting in front of a trained professional was a, a difference maker for myself. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, well, one, like everybody's mind's different. So everyone needs a different kind of care. There's no, there's no one answer to, to how we help everybody, but I will say we need to get people to help get help. You know, we need to, we, we can't help everybody. We need to get them to help themselves. Um, and, and by doing that, like Dean said, is, is normalizing behavior health. Um, I mean, I mean, if we just focused, you know, half as, I mean, just if we quantify the amount of time that I spend at the gym, lifting weights and shooting and communicating and all the training mm-hmm. compared to how much I spent on my 
mental health, sad. I mean, it is what, two, three percent, if that, you know? So, I mean, just I'm not saying that we need to go full scale and break it 50 50, but let's at, let's at least start like at a 90 10, you know, and let's, let's see what happens there, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, so, I'll say like, um, before I went on a deployment, every time before I, I left for a, a deployment, about roughly about a month out, I went cold. I shut down. Just turned into this like emotionless person. My wife would get so mad. <laughs> she would be like, what is wrong with you? And I couldn't help it. I just I just turned off and I just, and you know, it's, this sounds super cheesy, but it was like war mode. Mm-hmm. You know, I got I to gotta switch my brain to this, right. this person that that is someone different than I am when mm-hmm. I'm home, mm-hmm. this emotional creature. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I'd come home, it would take about a few weeks to a month to pull myself out of it. So that's tough for my mental health, but it's also tough for my wife's mental health. Right. So what I would want to, if we have any military guys listening, infantry, you know, combat arms guys, um, out there is one of my biggest recommendations is is understand that that's okay that's normal but then when you come home make that adjustment with your wife make that adjustment with your spouse make that adjustment with your family and have them understand that hey this is this is just that coming down period and then you mold into your wife's life or your sorry your spouse's life um because they've been running the house their way hmm. um for the last however long your deployment was. So you just can't come in barging the door. This is how things are going because you're already amped up and that's going to turn bad right away. So to protect your mental health and your wife's mental health, make that adjustment slowly and understand that that's normal. Now, I kind of wanted to like ask, you know, based off of what you had mentioned earlier and and I don't know your guys' experience with this, but uh, have you ever been through a situation where you guys just got back from a deployment or training or whatever and uh, maybe you're just really not okay and maybe you had the opportunity to ask for help, um, but maybe you didn't know how? I mean, have you gone through a circumstance like that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Going back to your previous question, no. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we don't know what's wrong, and how do, how does the spouse or or family member help? Sometimes it's just sitting sitting next to us, just be present. Absolutely, because um, you may be asking us what's wrong. We don't, we might not know yet. You know, I'd read or heard a statistic. I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but like in World War II, there was fewer cases of like PTSD and that type of thing because there was this transition period, they go from the front lines and then they hop on a boat with their buddies and and they have this period of time to kind of decompress and talk with each other until they get home. Then when they get home, they're maybe a little better. Whereas here it's like we hop on a plane and it's like, you know, maybe within 24 hours, there, there is no this like decompression really. And so Paul talked about putting his work hat on um, prior to and then afterwards. That to- it totally makes sense. And I think it's just the guys that do what we do or or something along those lines there needs to be this period of like all right i have to stop caring about everything but work right now because because if i'm distracted if my attention is split then i'm no good to my guys and that's what's important right now you know so now to your second question (laughs) (laughs) Um, boots on boots off mentality kind of right exactly exactly. yeah uh so we we were uh, we were closing down Afghanistan in 2021, and 
uh, it, I was fortunate enough, none of my guys got hurt. Uh, and as a medic, that's like, whew, thank God, you know, um, the medics on the team, I heard somewhere we're like the field goal kickers. Like nobody gives a shit about us until the game's on the line. Right. You're the least important guy <laughs> until you're needed. Exactly. Until you're, right. until you're the most important and, and guy. So I mean, I'm incredibly grateful. None of my guys got, got hurt or injured or, or anything like that. And so I'm incredibly grateful, but that deployment and Paul can, can kind of attest to this. Like it was shitty, like, and not because it was like incredibly violent, but rather it, I felt like a bear trap that had been set and never allowed to do work. You know what I mean? Right. So as the deployment is wrapping up, I'm questioning my purpose. Like, what did I just spend the last 10 years doing if I was designed to do a job and not allowed to do it, you know? So fast forward, we get home and, uh, and like within a week of me getting home, my family goes on vacation to the beach. So I'm just home alone, which as a, as a self-proclaimed introvert typically isn't a bad thing, but not at that time. You know, I was, I was questioning my purpose in the military. Uh, like, what did I just spend 10 years doing? And now when I got home, I just, I was gone for six months and they, mm -hmm. they left. I'm like, well, was it worth it? You know, I mean, you guys know, like every time we go on a trip, we miss volleyball games or plays or recitals or birthdays or anniversaries or whatever. And so getting home and then now everybody's gone. It's like, well, what was the point, you know? So I was in I was in a pretty bad spot. I was, I think, slamming some vodka Red Bulls at my house or whatever, you know, and um, went up to my office and sat down, pulled my pistol out of my top shelf in my office and sat down and put my gun in my mouth. And and the only thing that brought me back was I don't want some other dude raising my kids. So coming back to purpose, it's like the only thing that keeps guys like us going. I think is having some purpose somewhere. And something I was thinking of from a previous question is like, why is, why is suicide so prevalent in this community? This would be my, my initial thought is, um, we are very comfortable with the notion of death. We, when we enlisted, we all kind of wanted to be a war hero, right? Uh, it's not like we, we signed up to go do construction or, you know, work in an office somewhere. We wanted, we wanted to go be a hero. And so the, the idea of death and look at all the movies we watch, like 300 or, you know, 13 assassins, like with, with the samurais, you know what I mean? It's like the idea of death is, is not something that's scary to us. We fully embrace it. And so the, to take that step to, to suicide, uh, I mean, uh, maybe it's just me, but, you know, studying ancient samurais and stuff, suicide was, could be considered an honorable thing. And, so when you're in that dark spot, all these, well, at least for me, all these things were kind of going through my head, you know, like my purpose is, is done. I, I've spent 10 years missing all kinds of events in my kids' lives. And now I get back and they go on vacation to the beach and it's like, well, shit, well, let's just, let's just stop doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm incredibly grateful I didn't because I'm, there's there's hope on the other side of of that darkness i think i appreciate you sharing all of that and i know that what you're doing now is inspiring so many people i mean it's easy to see cuz you have that so social online presence but um you know i can't imagine what that was like for you 
to get home and have to go through that like dark period um, alone. And I did want to ask, um, because I understand that's, you know, um, unfortunately deployment that I had experience with from like a spousal side of things. Um, and that was kind of the synonymous factor among everybody is that they weren't allowed to do what they used to do. Mm. And then we had the troop drawdown with Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And I feel like ever since then, um, the same question that you had posed to yourself, I think a lot of people are starting to ask, uh, especially among the SF community is, is what is the purpose? I mean, do you think that's a factor possibly of, of why we're seeing a little bit higher than normal suicide rates? I'm not a professional, but yeah, I mean, I, purpose is everything, you know, um, I don't, I don't feel like I'm necessarily worth much unless I'm providing something. And, mm. and if I've devoted my time, energy and life to a certain thing, and it feels as though that purpose has been removed or snatched away or whatever. It's like, well, what? So as a green beret, um, and I tell this to the guys a lot when I go, I walk through the team rooms and stuff and tell, you know, give my spiel about the foundation, but we sit around other green berets all day. That's our full-time job is to sit in a team room with 11 other dudes that are just like us, better than us, worse than us, but we're all green berets. So our measure of a human being is a green beret. I'm like, guys, it's a little skewed. <laughs> you gotta understand that that's not normal. Uh, green berets are, are incredible human beings special operators are incredible it's weird to say that and look back and you know i, I was one of them you know was I, <laughs> was I incredible i don't think i was ever incredible but now that i look back and see what these guys what they you know what operators go through the training the deployments the i mean the non-stop training non-stop sponge of knowledge just because you have to be an asset to the team um so when these guys go to afghanistan and they don't get to do their job when they you know ukraine happened and the 10th group guys got pulled out of there um it's like taking that it's like ripping the superman cape right off and it's just it's it's painful it's very very painful because you have this training and you have all this knowledge and you have this stuff to give and you just want to give it you just want to give it and when they say no you can't you're just like well shit what am i supposed to do now and that having the purpose but not being allowed to do it is almost worse than just taking the whole purpose away. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Dean, you're the, the most recent of the, the group here uh, who is about to embark on a kind of new journey of life. Oh, I'm super excited. Yeah. <laughs> That's not scary at all. That's not scary at all. Everything's okay. Um, no, yeah. no, I mean, that. I mean, it's got to be. I it can't is. imagine. It, uh, you know, finding purpose, you know, it's kind of selfish in some ways, but like being here right now is me finding my purpose. I absolutely... You know, uh, the, the, the people who know me on the compound, I, I, I would like to think that a lot of them know me as that guy that will always just come and help you no matter what you're doing. You know, that's and that's the, the probably could be said for 99 percent of us. But I, I try to live really true to that. You know, these guys know they can call me at 3 a.m. I will be upset, but I will come and help you. Can you take me to Taco Bell? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I won't be too happy about it, but I'll, I'll do it, you know, uh, just because I'm always trying to help a brother. But I kind of wanted to, uh, 
you know, go back to what you were talking about earlier with Chris and stuff. So it, it's, it's kind of uh, interesting because one of my most stressful or low points in my life was actually before the, the last Afghanistan mm-hmm. trip. So it wasn't so much coming home for me. It was leaving. So in the, in the last you know, eight years, I've lost two uncles and my father to suicide and then two friends that have been in a regiment. So my father being the most recently who passed away to, to suicide, it was, uh, up until my divorce. And then that was right before the deployment. So, you know, going from a very, you know, cause this is to your point, you know, Chris, uh, Cindy was just this transition point for me that I really didn't realize I was in. And, you know, going from like a house where I can hear the boys run around and everything. And now here I am sitting in a square hundred, a 600 square foot apartment, you know, trying to put on the best smile and face I can every single day to, to deploy for Afghanistan. Cause you best better believe I didn't want to be left behind because I had, you know, mental problems. So, you know, I, I did my best to, to probably hide it too well on, you know, the, the, the stresses I had going on, but kind of like with Chris, you know, just sitting there in a, you know, to be honest, a really shitty apartment because, you know, trying to pay the mortgage and then having to get an apartment and everything. I didn't have a whole lot of money, you know, and then just my entire focus, just being on, well, how can I continue to go to Afghanistan? Cause I can't let the guys go without me. Mm-hmm. Cause you, once again, that's that whole purpose thing mm-hmm. to me, like people were, you know, and some, you know, probably have good points on, well, maybe you shouldn't have deployed, you know, cause you were going through this, but quite frankly, you know, that's what kind of saved me is I had a purpose to go to Afghanistan mm-hmm. with all my friends. And if they would have taken that from me, I probably would have been in the worst place, but the irony behind it all though, I guess my biggest point is, you know, <clears throat> kind of like what Chris was alluding to with, with you didn't want somebody else to raise his kids. I was in the same boat, but my inspiration came from my dad, though. So, you know, the irony is I learned because once he took his own life, you know, I became acutely aware of what it's like to be a child left behind to suicide. Mm. And so when my dad did that, you know, I didn't want my kids to have that same feeling. If you didn't have those kids, how close would you have been today to maybe not sitting here at this table with us? Yeah, you know, I I can't imagine what that's like to be on that brink. But having those team members and those friends that can be here to support is just incredibly helpful. Yeah, sorry. No, take your time. Yeah, that's what we're, so, that's what we're here for, man. Yeah. Be honest. Yeah, that's. But yeah, so my kids are the reason why I'm here today. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And we're incredibly grateful for you being here and and being able to inspire and just, you know, since the moment I met you, you're just, you radiate joy. Try to. I mean, despite. Ball of sunshine, Dean. It's all the testosterone. I mean, man, man, I got real deep there for a second. I'm sorry. So here for me. But I mean, it's just one of those, like, I just, I don't even like talking about it right now, but I just. Yeah, I know. I hope that, you know, I hope that somebody can see, you know, I hope that at least if there's one person listening that can just kind of be like, wow, I'm in that same boat. But I mean, be honest today, you know, to answer your other question, you know, that Paul talked about earlier, I, I, I've never been better. You know, I, yeah. I went from 160 pounds, I'm a solid 220 now, <laughs> you know, I eat well, you know, my mental health has been great. I feel like I have purpose and drive. I have friends I can talk to every day and that could have all been taken away. You know, you know, I, I met a very beautiful girl that, you know, I, I hope to marry her one day. So just everything's been kind of coming together and none of that would have been possible. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And that's I, you know, we talk about purpose so much and, and as green berets, I guess we feel like our purpose is so huge, right? We feel like we are the Superman. We feel like we have to save the world. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we started doing this job is because, Hey, we're the best ones to do it. Fucking let's go. And, uh, but I guess we, we should all take a step back and realize that our purpose can be so many different things. Mm -hmm. And our, our families are number one. We need to switch to that mindset. I've always tried really hard to not identify as a Green Beret, identify before, first as a family person, as a, as a husband, as a father, you know? And I guess that, that'd be another thing that we could sit here and say about Shadow of the Silence is, is, is you always have a purpose. Your purpose doesn't have to be to save the world. It can be just waking up with your kids in the morning, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's harder for people, you know, who don't also have families because not everybody so may have had the circumstances of, you know, a situation like Chris and Dean. Um, yeah. And some people, they don't have anybody. Mm -hmm. So what would you suggest, you know, they do? I mean, a lot of people internalize things and um maybe they don't even have a teammate to rely on yeah i mean i would argue that to look deeper you know because obviously i relied heavily on my children as a driving force but mm -hmm. you know like when my father you know died like the toll that took on my grandmother so there's always somebody that mothers, is there in fathers. your life you know mothers fathers brothers sisters cousins you name it i mean and i know that that's maybe not the same you know but there is somebody that you will affect greatly, you know, by taking your own life. And, and I think that you should take the time to reflect on what that is, because being somebody who is a, you know, a result of that, you know, I, I can tell you that it's something you don't want to put on your friends and family, you know, but yeah. much, once again, much easier said than done. Someone out there loves you. Somebody out there loves you. Yeah. I mean, for a person to be completely alone and has no one that loves them, I mean, holy cow, that'd be, <laughs> yeah. that'd be pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I mean, that, that still may be the case, but you know, just, I just want them to know that like, you know, even if it's not friends and family, you know, there's somebody out there and then please just go and seek help and trust me, you'll be better off. You'll, mm -hmm. you'll be, you'll thank yourself in a year. And if you are one of those people, and your spidey sense is tingling that maybe a buddy or family member is not doing well. That doesn't mean you need to solve anything. Maybe just showing up and sitting quietly is enough. You know, mm -hmm. uh, but we talk a lot about being alone and how shitty that is, you know? So just knowing, knowing that somebody is there and you're not alone, that might be enough. You don't need to ask questions. You don't need to dig in or whatever. Just, just showing up is, is huge. My dad, growing up was always this like super animated every time he got mad he was yelling and screaming and and my mom married to him for 40 years they're divorced now thank god because <laughs> they were not great together I had my mom was like why does he always yell why does he always yell and i was like at a young age i was like he just wants you to listen he just wants you to listen mm. like he, he's he's yelling because he doesn't feel like anybody's hearing him mm. and that is huge is like a lot of times it's just in here it really is like, like, like you know, I told you last week, I had a full mental breakdown, <laughs> like crying to my wife and just, I, you know, I'm alone and I feel like shit and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she called my friends and it was great. But like, honestly, just her sitting there listening to me 
for an hour on the phone helped so much. I just had, I, I was, I was lucky enough to where I had someone to just spill my guts out to. How do you begin the process of trusting somebody? Because I think there may be people that are listening now and maybe they have a wife, maybe they have a husband or children or cousin, grandma, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Aunt. I mean, maybe they can't put that barrier down. Like how are they mm -hmm. supposed to just sit there and, and, and allow that person to be there for them? One for spouses, couples counseling. I mean, it's tools for the toolbox. It really is. I don't care if you think your marriage is the greatest marriage in the entire world. Couples counseling once a month, once every six months. It One, it, it opens a floor for a, an unbiased person to hear both sides of a story, to bring it together, to get the truth. There's three sides, three sides to every, every story, right? The, you know, the, their side, their side, and the truth. Um, that will break down some barriers, but the biggest thing to me, I think that will prevent barriers coming up or break barriers down is just being honest with yourself and being honest with your wife or spouse. Sorry. Um, that, that honesty, is blissful. It really is like, because if you, if you're hiding these things and you're hiding this pain and you're hiding this stuff, it's just, it's just weight. It's just weight. Mm -hmm. And, and if that, that day that, you know, I, I do wear my emotions on my sleeve. What? Um, <laughs> and I talk a lot. <laughs> Podcast for me. <laughs> but, um, but having that, you know, lifting that weight off. I buried so much crap down for so long through SF and pushed my, my, my mental health issues to the side for so long because of the mission. I'm finally just getting that stuff out there. Oof, man, it is like, it is just a weight off your chest. And then once you do that with your spouse or your loved ones or your mom or your dad or your brothers or sisters, that opens a door for more honesty. And, and usually honesty is met with other honesty. So now you have that person that you can talk back and forth with and you have that confidant and that's pretty important. Yeah. And people, would you say normally, I mean, in that kind of group environment of which you guys were, you know, already embedded with it. I mean, would you say that that's already there amongst, you know, your brothers and, and sisters no. who know? <laughs> no. Okay. Explain. No, I, uh, I would say not pure. I mean, Chris and I yeah. had a bond. On a team, <laughs> put his finger on my belly button. <laughs> it's, it's, trust me, I'm a medic. <laughs> but we we were always very philosophical with each other, always always combating each other's ideas. And I mean, we we, we were Denmark for eight weeks. I edited all your homework. <laughs> you did all my homework because <laughs> kind of stupid. <laughs> Wait, what kind of deal was this? Was he like your like you know slave or what? <laughs> it started off like. that way. Okay. <laughs> That's the kind of the hierarchy of an ODA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the senior yeah. guy makes the younger right. guy do everything. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but we we had an hour drive. We were in Denmark for for eight weeks. We had an hour drive to work every day, and Chris and I shared a car. Mm -hmm. And every day, back and front, forth from work, we would just. We, I felt like I was getting smarter every day because You're we welcome. would. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome too. <laughs> but but we would just combat each other's ideas. Mm. We would be philosophical. We would we would just talk and talk about stuff. We, I mean, I don't even think we'd ever turn the radio on. No. To be honest, like we would just talk for those two hours every single day. And so I had that confidant. Mm. But that's 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 rare. So so back to your question, like how do you how do you develop that trust with somebody? I think it's not immediate. It'll never be immediate. It requires 
time and effort within a relationship before you can start digging into some of those shitty situations or hard topics to talk talk about. And so, yeah, Paul and I kind of had this built-in mechanism where we just got to know each other really well mm-hmm. for, for eight weeks because we had, like, fun conversations for two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now look at us. I was one of the guys <laughs> his wife called the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys go to Taco Bell? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But actually, it, it turned out to be a really fun night. Yeah. Like, um, it was actually pretty crazy. We had random people showed up. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, was, it, was fun. it was good. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... I have found digress. that, yeah, but I digress. <laughs> I have found that the people I trust the most, uh, we have been through something together, whether it's um, difficult training exercises or difficult, difficult people on the team that we had to <laughs> talk shit about at some point, <laughs> or not be released, right? Or, um, <laughs> I mean, years ago, uh, another friend of mine and I, we were both kind of going through a divorce at similar times, and so we. We were, we always refer to that time as killing killing our bears, uh, um, and so he and I have been buddies for like twenty years, and and it's like yeah he's the guy that if like I'm on the struggle bus uh, he's he was one of the guys that I, I call and he'll pick up the phone no matter what time of day it is you know but but it doesn't happen immediately. We have the on ODAs we have the added benefit of everybody's been through the same Q course so there's this semblance of like. I trust you to some degree because you you've met some standard to which I I think is is important, but it still requires that that actual interaction um, and I don't know opening up even if it's not about important stuff at first, but eventually it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you become like you know very close to some of these guys yeah. because even like when you're here in the states, you know everybody goes home at the end of the day unless you're on a major training event or yeah. something. But when you deploy forward, you know like mm-hmm. uh, one of my you know, I don't know, multiple deploys, but the one that comes to mind is uh, one of my last uh, tours to Ukraine where, you know, myself and the commander literally just slept one door away from each other and shared the same bathroom. So it's literally from the moment you wake up to at middle of the night, you guys are, we're talking, you know, what we're doing that day, the next day, how's your family? How's my family? Mm-hmm. I mean, and you just build this bond where, you know, yeah, you, you really, you're not, right? yeah, you're <laughs> literally right next to each other, joined the hip constantly. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, you can't help it, but build that relationship to a, you know, a very high degree. Mm-hmm. I think, I think every, every green beret has, has one other, one or two other green berets that, mm-hmm. that are like that. So it does happen. Um, we bond through shitty situations, you know, mm-hmm. you suck together, you love together. You're like, <laughs> oh, that's, 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 <laughs> oh nope, God. I'm writing that one down. What did I just say? Yeah. That's like when I met you for the first time, <laughs> off the record, obviously. Remember when you were like, yeah, I used to have a boyfriend back in the day. Do you remember that? I don't. Yeah, no. we were, um, <laughs> it was the first time yeah. you came to the clinic. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. I was like, I just looked at you. I was like, okay. Uh. Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Nice. He's he's pretty honest. Yeah, yeah I was like, okay, that's cool. I didn't But the point is, like, if you go through hell together, you, you build that bond. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, you you end up making really good friends. But unfortunately, it's very unlikely that if you go through the Q course, the our special forces qualification course, that you're gonna end up on the same team together. Right. I have some of my best friends that I went through the Q course with, and I was only friends with them for a year and a half. 
Yeah. And within that year and a half, you went through so much crap together. Mm-hmm. Seer school, you know, SUT, small unit tactics where you're out for days at a time and no food. And um, you build these bonds. But like I said, you're not going to be on that same team with a, a guy's not going to be on the same team as you. But then you go on deployments and you do other things that, that you are do horrible. follow each other forever. <laughs> like uh, a good friend of mine, Sam York, you know, I was his best man at his wedding. I remember when I showed up to my ODA, he was down the hallway and for uh, well over a decade, it seemed like every spot I went, I would see Sam walk by. It's like, <laughs> like, you follow me? He's like, I thought you were following me. I mean, and then just like I me mean, throughout the years, it just, you know, we just sat there and you kind of progress through the careers together and stuff. So it's a very, very small world, especially very just small community. within the, you know, a specific CSU or group. So it just, it's, it's interesting. You can't go anywhere without at least running into somebody that you've met mm-hmm. multiple times, even did a p- deployment with, you name it. Yeah. Is it kind of like that too? I mean, when you get out, I mean, like. Without what, a doubt. With, I mean, yeah. it's just, it just, uh, it, and it's great for opportunities. You know, I know you were going to ask the question about like transitioning from right. military and right. stuff. I mean, so far, every single organization I went to and be like I was somewhat interested in maybe working there one day. They're like, oh, you know, then then I'd walk in and sometimes it's like a reunion. <laughs> like, oh, so this is where they're, you know, all the tech yeah. guys are hired. You know, so they're, they're, they're everywhere. You mm-hmm. know, who did you guys mention earlier? Ron, right? Fitch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ron Fitch. Yeah. So, I mean, they're just, they're everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. So. Yeah. I went to the uh, El Paso Club here in town for the first time. You know, this was last year, I think. And, uh, and I walk in the El Paso club is like a, it's a, it's a club where, uh, guys go hang out, have drinks. It's, it's pretty wealthy individuals of the town and it's a, you know, membership fee and everything. So my buddy took me there cause he wants me to join and I was thinking about it. And, and I walk in the, and the, the first person I sit down and talk to was Ron Fitch. Great human, great guy. And he's like, Oh, what do you do? And I was like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a chief warrant officer for special for 10th special forces group and he starts tapping his ring on the table <laughs> special forces <laughs> ring on the table. of course the first person i yeah. walked to yeah. walk, you know have a conversation mm-hmm. within here so right. it happens all the time like mm-hmm. it's that kind of stuff yeah you just run into random people yeah because it is such a small community and on the other hand of things you know i've met people that have you know done 20 you know 30 whatever however many years of service they've done where they don't want to be distinguished by yeah. their mm-hmm. service there mm-hmm. are some people and i think that's maybe for like older generations maybe a little bit different um but i think there's a lot of people out there who like kind of feel overwhelmed when they get out and then there's just like all of these different people that they're still running into and they're like no like i need time given like <laughs> let me alone wyoming um, and montana and yeah idaho lots of yes yes they do <laughs> uh, population yeah if you ever invade yeah. the united states <laughs> don't go there. Do not go to those states <laughs> if you're thinking yeah. about invading yeah they're well trained yeah so what, why is that? Because, I mean, I do feel like that that's so yeah. true. I mean, not, I mean, I know from personal experience, like the conversation that, you know, I had was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to retire and then we're going to go live in the middle of the woods. You're not going to have grid. any electricity. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, no. Yeah. Um, but it's still know. a complete plan of mine. I know. Really? As God, really? As God is my witness. There okay. will be a day where they're just like, call Dean and you won't won't find me I'll probably be in the caribbean or somewhere warm so i'll give you guys a hint cool okay. but uh but I'm, i i plan on going completely off the grid and you know just pop mm. up once a month check on the kids and go back underground you know i have i just love like the idea of just kind of just sounds being... like bruce wayne yeah i mean i don't know if i get that kind of money that'd be cool yeah. but uh 
I don't yeah. know if you guys know this about me, but I have this social quota that's really high. Uh, so I couldn't go off. Yeah. <laughs> I would lose my mind. Yeah. <laughs> lose You've my alluded mind. to that a few times now. <laughs> so. Yeah. Sorry. I, on the other hand, complete introvert. So I, I work from home. I work out at home. I never have to interact with mm. another human, which is pretty dope. What's your, nice. what's, your, what's your favorite thing in the world? Be more specific. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The EDM music and vodka Red Bulls are pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> that is the opposite of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I actually really like people. I just, my quota is the opposite. As soon as I hit my quota, I need to. Yeah, like, recharge the social battery. Yeah, recharge, yeah. hide yeah. my so cave. I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever hit my quota. Not yet. That's all. That's all. Like, the more people they're around, they just start to gain energy. And I, like, oh, you can yeah. usually just walk in and. You know, I'll be, you know, trying to be the life of the party, making people laugh, and then you can literally just watch me just boop. And then that's <laughs> battery, battery, battery. I, I turn around and I walk yeah, I like don't a even switch. say bye. Irish goodbye. Where where'd he go? And I'm like, yo, He's sorry, gone. man. I, I ran out of juice. You know, yeah. I gotta recharge. I'll be back in twenty four. <laughs> so is that like a, a defensive tactic, like for just like, just like, hey, my brain's overwhelmed, like just leave me alone? Or is like, is there something more to that? Is that yeah, like anxiety? I, mean, I was or? in a training course, you know, where they were kind of teaching that because it was a, a lot to do with like, you know, learning somebody's personality, how to relate with them, gain common ground, you know, and stuff like that. And so a lot of it was like understanding an extrovert versus an introvert. And the, the simplistic way that I understand it is, you know, an extrovert gains energy being around others while an introvert, you know, spends energy. And so it's, it's kind of weird because if you go and talk to most green berets and stuff, you would, most people would be like every single one of them are extroverts. You know, every one of them will stand up, have that commanding voice, you know, walk through the door, you know, real fast and just, you know, be the life of the party, you know. But at the same time, Chris sat right to my left. Mm -hmm. You can literally watch his battery drain, <laughs> where, you know, and then he just he, he just yeah. says goodbye, you right. know, and then there's no talking him back. You know, like, Only the vodka Red Bulls. Exactly, that might keep me going a little. Yeah, while. yeah. That, that keeps him going for another thirty minutes. You know? yeah. But uh, so I, and I don't even know he's left because I'm talking to thirty-seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you got Paul to my right, you know, who's the polar yeah. opposite, where. He just keeps on going, and then you can see Chris staring him down because that was his ride. To the party. You know, like, Please let me go home. Just get me out of here. And then before you know, it, Chris is walking, calls me at three a.m. I'm an introvert, so I already went to bed four hours ago. So I go pick him up, take him home, and then we pick up Paul the next morning. He's still going strong. Yeah. So yeah. And that's how it goes. And that's how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's that dynamic like that on different teams yeah. and, yeah, and the really battalions. The, the, the background, I, I mean, I know the focus on suicide, but on a, a team is just one of those things that you, I don't know if it could ever be replicated, but you just have such a diverse personalities and background. We're all cut from the same cloth. So we mm. all have something very similar in common, mm. yeah. but just the, the, the background and expertise, I mean, you, you have guys who were mechanics before, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, do coding, you know, or tech guys. Yale graduates. You, you have a Yale. He's just graduate. like, yeah, I'm working on my fifth MBA. You know, mm -hmm. you're like, what for? But that's what they do. So, you know, it's just the diversity you have on a team is amazing. And being a young kid when I started, because I started real young in the military, it was just completely like, you know, illuminating just of like, wow, like how many people do we have from everywhere in the world too? Because mm -hmm. they're not always like one of my um, Umansky. I don't know if you guys remember Vladimir Umansky, but he came from the Russian military, yeah, you I know, and then came that. and now he's on an ODA. So you have people from different ethnicities, you mm -hmm. know, cultures, and mm -hmm. it's just pretty, pretty cool to see, you know, that come together and then 
you guys are all just focused on a once again going back to the mission and the purpose. Yeah, and I guess you know you, you can tie that to suicide is and talking about what I brought up earlier of um, you can't nobody's fix is the same. Yeah, because nobody's brain. Yeah, yeah, nobody's brain's the same. I mean, like like Dean said, every, you know we're all we're all a type personalities. We're all slightly sociopaths. <laughs> um, we're, yeah. we're, uh, um, but we all came from something com completely different mm -hmm. and our brains are all messed up individually <laughs> <laughs> and so that and that's that's that there's no way to absolutely 100 help everybody um yeah except for you know pushing them to get help themselves. do you think like a majority of people understand that when you say i mean I'm, i don't know if like the average listener is going to be like why are they referencing to themselves as sociopaths but like for people who understand <laughs> they understand so the, the there is so when you go to selection special forces assessment and selection you take uh, uh tests uh, Myers-Briggs. That was one of them. It's 600 questions. There's a few of them now. Yeah, you take a few of them. Um, so story. So my buddy was dating a girl. She was a psychologist. And he met her at the bar. And when they first started dating, she was the one that was going over the, the answers to that test as a psychologist. And she told me a story about the first day that she showed up. And she said she sat down with the lead doctor. And he said, listen, every single person that you interview, every test that you go over is going to shoot up every red flag that you could possibly imagine. And it's going to scare the shit out of you. But that's what we're looking for. They're looking for that person that can make those tough decisions like that and be okay with it. Whether it be violent, whether it be helping a little kid in the middle of the street, I've helped a kid got his leg blown off by our own bombs on our UXO area in Afghanistan. Just make that decision and be fine with it and be able to go on to the next mission. And that's that sociopath part of it, right? Is we can, we can make an excuse for everything that we do mm -hmm. because we feel that it's for the mission. It's for the right purpose. Yes. There are people that take it too far. We're not going to say every green beret is a great human being because there's some pretty pretty crappy ones out there there's there's ones in jail there's you know um some people take it too far but but as a whole that's kind of what the regiment's looking for from what i've heard that's not, <laughs> <laughs> um is that is that person that can make that and that you know totally ties to that behavior health piece of that is, yeah you know sometimes you make those decisions to be okay with the actions that you've made but later on down the road they creep back up mm -hmm. No, I think it's really important background information to understand because I think like a general person who maybe doesn't have any experience in the military world or like they probably would have no idea. Yeah. So to have that kind of mindset and knowledge going into it and um, especially from like a clinical standpoint of being able to help. It's not an easy job, um, and uh, especially the guys that joined 20 years ago, you know, went through 20 years of hell. Unf unfortunately, and I say this fortunately but unfortunately, that war was – a Green Berets outlet, you know, going there and being able to have that higher purpose that we talked about earlier, that Superman cape on and going to war is what calmed these guys down. Coming back is what tears these guys up yeah. because they have to think about it. They're forced to think about it. Mm -hmm. And, and that, and all those, all those, the sociopath tendencies and all the narcissistic tendencies that 
are in full strength when you're in <laughs> Afghanistan, all gets quelled down a little bit too. And so then that brings, you know, that stuff gets quelled down and guess what comes up? Bad thoughts. Yeah. So, and for uh, anybody who wants to marry a Green Beret out there, understand that also, that they're all sociopaths. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful. That was a good advertisement. I feel like the last 10 minutes was just a, a void at all costs. <laughs> like that's pretty yeah. much what you yeah. marketed yeah, You it shifted as. your weight in your seat like six times. <laughs> <laughs> me? Yeah. So, <laughs> are you diagnosing me? No, no, no. It just went oh. in talking about me. Oh. So she's like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was, I was, yeah. Sweating no. a little. We're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I think, uh, I think in, in a good way. Go in a good way. Right. Yeah. I think part of that though is it's as they're doing those psychological exams during selection, they're trying to find that conscience behind the gun, the the capacity to pull the trigger when you need to kill or die without a moment's hesitation. But somebody that also doesn't take life lightly or lightly. Mm -hmm. um, somebody that. All right. So unfortunately, I'm on social media a, a lot. And that's my business now. And and as a result, you get some of those trolls and stuff. And and, and those comments are, are often like, well, how many kids did you kill? I'm like, mm. motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so when I was enlisting, um, a lot of my friends were like, dude, what are you doing? That's dumb. But for me, I, I wanted guys like me to enlist because I didn't take life lightly. It's, I consider life very sacred. And, but I also... I wanted to be there because I wanted, I think I had the capacity to kill or die if necessary, if I, if I found myself in that situation. And so, so yeah, it may be sociopathic, but also we are the conscience behind the gun. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. like a sociopathic <clears throat> word, you know, it, it, there's such a obviously horrible connotation, connotation to that, right? Like a sociopath is this horrible person, but like in the right context, in the right situation, that's who yeah, you want. it makes you ideal. It makes you. That's who you want, right? You know. Of course, when you switch to that psychopathic, that that's where yeah, it's, you know, that's like, where it's a little rough. But, but that's. I mean, you want right. that. You want that person on your side because mm -hmm. they're the ones that they're the ones that are going to make the decisions first, right? And they're going to be well. By definition, it's somebody who's really able to control their emotions. Mm -hmm. I mean, without all the other bad stuff. But yeah, from. you know, I had a, you remember the old group commander, uh, uh, General Dietrich. Now, you know he. He, he characterized it as a, like a noble cause. Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of what drives, you know, our actions a lot is looking for that, that purpose that mm -hmm. we speak to and stuff, you know, the oppresso liber, you know, what we live by, Frito Presso. I, I think that's where the community at large doesn't see a lot of stuff because they see us going to war and we speak, you know, and you see the highlight films, you know, of, you know, fast roping, you know, shooting the 240 Bravo, you, you name it, you know, Carl Gustafs and stuff. But really from a green beret standpoint, you know, it was always to me was just like going to a village and then just being able to help out the couple of kids that were there mm -hmm. that you can tell that were being harassed by, you know, the local warlord and stuff. And that's where, you know, the, the, those tendencies that we may have, we have the ability to walk up to them and be like, this isn't going to happen anymore. You got to have that attitude walking into these things. Cause you know, if you, if you walk in, it's kind of like, you know, sending a sheep to go and, you know, have a discussion with a wolf, you know, it's not going to work out. But, you know, we're going to send our own wolf in there and he's going to tell you this isn't going to happen anymore right. you know, or we'll find you. And, and we did, you know, and so that's, <laughs> you know, that's where, you know, where, you yeah. know, our tendencies are driven from. It's for a good cause. So I just didn't want it to be lost in the conversation. Definitely. Of, yeah. You know, no, I'm glad like, you said we, that. We have yeah. a very, you know, ethic line that we abide by. 
and and for the majority of the time it is strictly adhered to. No, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think it's good that you said that. And I didn't want that to be lost upon it as well. I yeah. think just for people who don't understand like the emotional capability, and I'm I'm sure that's probably mm-hmm. not something that's that's nice to hear about yourself. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I can't imagine I'd be enjoyed calling like myself a sociopath yeah. or whatnot. So <laughs> yeah. no, but um, that's it's a tough line to balance. Mm-hmm. So. It is, and that's that's that, and that's it goes back to that mental health and like yeah. balancing that line and balancing that those those thoughts and, yeah. those and then just kind of decisions. bring it full circle. That just comes back to just once again the the training and the the, the focus. You know, you know, shoot, move, communicate, medicate is. You know, ninety-five percent of everything we do, and mm-hmm. what I, I simply advocate for is like, hey, let's let's bump it up to you know ninety, ten percent for now, and focus on the mental act, uh, aspect mm-hmm. of it as well. And I think that, uh, you know, to your point earlier on why is the suicide rates you know among veterans you know high here, you know, I, I just. I think that we've made great grounds. I just personally believe that there's more we can do. Yeah. No, and, and I agree with you. You had mentioned it earlier as well when we were talking. And I think what I've seen personally being involved, you know, not only as um, like a military affairs reporter, but also working in the military behavioral health spectrum of things as well here locally, um, I think there's progress being made. I think there's so much wonderful things. I mean, I can really speak for certain about that happening in 10th group, you know, what you guys have developed there with Summit. I mean, Paul mentioned it earlier. It's wonderful. And I think that if we, you know, keep progressing in that direction, like there's conversations even for Space Force of of putting in a mental health uh, physical as well as with their annual physical. Um, so, you know, we're moving in the right direction. And I don't want that to seem like what I had said earlier about, hey, why are there so many veteran suicides? I know that there's a ton of people that have dedicated their entire lives to it. I mean, look at all you guys, you know, you're all sitting here literally advocating for it. Um, I just still feel like losing anybody is one too many. And, you know, I guess we all sit around the table at the end of the day and whether we want to share it with somebody else or not, like we're all going to rack our heads and wonder like, why did we let this one person like slip? Like, what could I have done? Mm -hmm. I know that everyone's trying to do as best as they can. It's just, you know, I think at the end of the day, we we can't stop trying and we can't stop progressing and settling. You know, that 90-10 that you were just talking about, that needs to be like 50-50. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, yeah. you know, I don't want to let off the gas until there is more effort made, even though there is progress. I just, you know. You know, maybe that's one of the reasons why us three or even us four decided to do this is because this purpose will be never ending and we'll always have this purpose. Because unfortunately, this will always happen. We're never going to save all of them. And that's the hardest thing in the world to say. And sad. But like you said, though, if we can save one, if we can save two, this this is all 100% worth it. Because this is this is something that's starting to get so bad. And it's, it's you know, but it, I, the behavior health in, in, in special forces has gotten so much better. And you know, every time I left go to counseling, I'd say tell the whole team room, "Hey, I'm going to counseling. You guys should probably go too." <laughs> you know, um, and just normalizing it. But this is a this is a tough purpose to have, but it's a very it's a it's rewarding once once you do save the one. Yeah, and that really, you know, like uh, Paul, a great point of just like you know, it, it always, and you know, we preach this all the time. Mm-hmm. It does start with leaders, you know, because you know. 
you know, up until my recent retirement, you know, I was a leader walking around the compound and, and Paul, you know, saying like, Hey, I'm going to go seek help. That, that is just as important because we being, you know, and Chris can talk about, you know, being the, the, you know, the new guy on the team and stuff. And myself at the time as well, is just, you know, you look up and you basically want to emulate, you know, the guys above you in about any way, shape or form you can. And so normalizing it and being able to admit your faults, you know, is something that I've seen that's, that's gotten a lot better too, you know, 100%. you know, so, I mean, I've seen some of our most senior leaders come out and say yeah. like, Hey, I'm not doing well and I'm going to go seek help. Yeah. And that sends a, a rippling mm -hmm. effect because they talk about you every single team guy on the lowest level to our support, you know, like every one of them, you know, they, they watch everything you do. And if they see like, Oh, it's okay that Dean went to behavioral health. He didn't lose his clearance. He's still coming to work every day. Heck I can do it too then. And so I, I just think that that's another great step to kind of, yeah. you know, help get it out. And, and we're doing it. I think it's moving in the right direction, but I couldn't agree with you more, Cindy. No, I'm 50, 50 is yeah. you know, definitely the goal. And I truly firmly believe that even though <clears throat> I know we have those conversations earlier, about leaning on people that you love and trust. But my word is not anything compared to what like a team member or a fellow brother or somebody that like has been through like the bullshit overseas. Like, I hate to say that, but it's true. And yeah. I think that's why you guys like doing the work that you're doing. That's the stuff that's going to move the dial forward. I hope so. And I completely mm -hmm. agree. I mean, it's just, you know, for good, bad, or indifferent, it is, it is hard to approach an SF guy without having that kind of quick exchange of, Hey, I know you've done what I've done and you understand where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. And you know, we are, so, and, and being able to kind of bridge that gap, because that's kind of like what I mentioned that helped me is, you know, I had another guy who obviously understood where I was coming from and was even there in his own life, but he was an SF guy. So he could completely, he completely like related to me. And then he, you know, shifted me over to the behavioral health, to the experts, and then they took it from there. But sometimes I think to your point, you, you need somebody that, you know, with that, you know, cut from that same cloth aspect to come in and, you know, grab you by the arm and say, Hey, you're, you're going to do this. Yeah, and, you, do. you know, there's nothing you can say because I think Chris mentioned it earlier that just like, you know, we, we can be a little bit manipulative and we can <laughs> shut it down. And before you know it, we're talking about your feelings and not mine. Uh, yeah. You know, like me you shifting know, we, over here yeah, in my yeah, chair yeah, when yeah, you're yeah, talking yeah. about sociopath yeah, tendencies. Yeah, yeah. Counter cues, Thank you. you know, and then boom, you know, let's talk about you, Sydney. You know, I'm good. So, you know, so, but, you know, but you, it's hard to, you know, manipulate the guy that's been to all the same training you have. And he's going to sit there and he's going to bullshit on you and be like, yo, I know what you're trying to do. I went to the school too, bro. Yeah. And <laughs> but you're still coming with me and then there yeah, you, you are. Yeah, you need somebody setting. to check you. Exactly. And you trust that person, you know, going back to the whole trust factor is huge. Right. So, you know, the resources and I feel like that's why we're here today is, you know, we can help bridge that gap to yeah. some degree. I mean, there's, you all have done that. Yeah, definitely. There, there's another organization out there I want to kind of plug to. It's uh, that we've partnered with, the Special Forces Foundation has partnered with. It's called Green Beret Racing. Um, it's based out of here in uh, in Colorado Springs. Um, but what Nick Merrick has done is he's, he's built this program where it's literally any kind of like athletic racing, running, cars, dirt bikes, bicycles, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's had huge success with getting donations. They got a building donated to him. So they have a brick and mortar. They have cars donated to race cars donated to him. So people can uh, to race cars, motorcycles, bikes, 
And so what his his focus is, and I don't want to you know speak for him because he's not here. I'm sure he'd like the plug, but um, his focus is that that pre health, you know, that pre breakdown, mm-hmm. and getting giving those guys that purpose, like we talked about earlier, giving them a goal, giving them something to try to achieve before they do go over the edge. But then if he ever has a guy that you know like it, it's gone a little too far, that's when they call us, and then we we give the resources for behavior health and for to seek actual treatment. But he tries to to beat that. So he's, he's, uh, proactive yeah. and trying to, yeah, health, right. yeah. So, yeah. and that's something that you guys are already doing, I would say within 10th group, yeah. um, yeah. from my knowledge. And then least. I just urge guys to just get involved. There's so many, just like green Bray racing, you know, the SF foundation has the, uh, special operations cup. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no better time than just to see a couple people come out of the woodworks that you haven't seen in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, and shake their hand and see how they're doing. You know, I mean, before you know it, you know, it's like a, a family reunion. Yeah, people didn't coming. Didn't you guys in. Uh, jump onto the golf course too? Uh, we have Eric? a jump. We okay. have a jump team that, yeah. that goes to all of our golf events. Yeah, yeah that they, sounds they pretty cool. They jump in with an American flag. Right. Uh, we're doing Trump out there in September twenty uh, fourth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're trying to get one of the Trumps to jump in with the flag. <laughs> maybe, we get Donnie, maybe we can get Donnie Jr. out there. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Ambitious. I like it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, jumping in with with them, not physically, don't if you're not trained. That was a bad <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> most, most of us are. I'm sure What's well, the worst that could happen? Sure. No, yeah. yeah. The problem sure. is you'd have to tell them, like, hey, you haven't done this in a very long time. So you're going to have to take a seat and then they're going to get really upset with yeah, you and try to jump anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's a we're also gonna do another push here uh for the foundation. Um any Green Berets out there that are around the globe, I don't care where you're at. If you want to help out the foundation, uh I'll send you out swag, merchandise, hats, t-shirts, tablecloths. Just go up to a bar and ask them, hey, do you mind if I pop do a little pop-up today? You guys can donate some money, maybe a dollar a beer sold or something along the lines, and mm-hmm. just get the awareness out to these little crevices around the country that we haven't really hit. Um, so if anybody wants to, I throw cornhole tournaments once a month. If you want to throw a cornhole a tournament in your town. It's ruthless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of money invested. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you out some cornhole boards, and yeah. uh, you can have a monthly cornhole tournament in your town if you want to help out the Special Forces Foundation, your Green Beret. Feel free to uh, hit us up and uh, we'll send you out some stuff and have a little event for yourself. No, that's perfect. And, you know, along the same lines too, Paul, like we talked in our last <clears throat> podcast episode a little bit towards the end there about mm-hmm. what you guys got going on and kind of like what you aim to do within the community and creating that sense of like belonging, camaraderie. Uh, it's I mean, I've seen it work like with my own eyes. It's just amazing. The purpose that you give these guys just like by being there without even saying anything. Um, but you're planning a pretty big event for September, right? So yeah, our next big event, uh, here in the Springs is going to be, uh, September 10th. Uh, it's going to be out at Red Lake Brewery. We've, uh, rented out the entire grounds out there. Uh, it's going to be from 11 till four. Uh, we're going to have four bands right now and then vendors out there. Uh, Ted here from, uh, Veterans Voice is going to come out and do an all day podcast. So everybody has a chance to tell the world how suicide has affected them, whether it be their brother, sister, mother, soldiers, themselves, uh, doesn't matter. Come out and tell your story to the world because that's me personally. I think that's what's going to, you know, really bring this to light is just talking about it and telling the world their stories. 
and to be able to like the vendors being able to you know provide all the resources so i think you know just being you know you may not be affected by suicide but chances are somebody that you know or somebody they know definitely is to some degree and just be able to collect those resources and see what, what all there is with throughout colorado springs and then you know be able to pass those along and this is just not this is not just a special forces uh event uh we've already had the marine recon foundation uh, has signed up to come out to set up a, be a vendor. Yep. Uh, the Pararescue Jumper F uh, Foundation from the Air Force is coming out. Uh, Special Forces Association. Um, I think that's all we got signed up right now. But we're looking to, looking to have 15 booths um, between clinicians and uh, uh, special operations uh, foundations throughout the globe to come out. And, uh, and we're going to have some workshops to have some clinicians speak about uh, you know, how awareness problems, you know, how to find, you know, seek these people. Yeah. Out. Like mental health first aid or suicide, um, risk, you yep. know, management Prevention. training, stuff like that. Yeah. This Absolutely. is the first one, but it's definitely something that we'd look to, you know, reoccur and then, you know, God willing, you know, continue it every year and hopefully grow a little bit and help raise awareness and provide, you know, prevention tools. What made you guys, I guess, come up with this or like what was the reason behind? Because this is I think you had mentioned the first one that you guys have ever really hosted. But like what was the effect of what led to this? Yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think it was actually the first day I met you. So I went over to so Josh over at the Wounded Warrior Foundation. I was you know, I told him that this is just something that I'm really passionate about. And, you know, just lightning strike. And then the next day, uh, Eric Kingsley from the summit, you know, mm -hmm. gave me a call and said, hey, we have this lady named Cindy coming in and Kristen coming in, who is also, can you come in? And then I was just like, hey, can we do a, an event to kind of help raise awareness and, you know, provide tools and prevention? And then so immediately I, I called Paul because Paul has the resources and the SF Foundation and stuff. And, you know, I wanted to bring in the big heavy hitters and stuff. And then he's taken it from there and ran with it and you know, yeah. kind of put what you, everything you see coming together now. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's been pretty easy because there's been such a positive reaction to it. I mean, people, I'm like, hey, this is what we're doing. Everyone's like, I'm in. I'm in because this is this is a big deal and it needs to be brought to light. And and I'm we're super stoked for this day. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I really, I hope it goes yeah. as good yeah, as we did what I have in my mind. <laughs> we did put it together really quick. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, well, I mean, that, September's that, that, coming up. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, usually yeah. I think it's probably about a good, you know, six months. Right, right, for a big I event. Mean, we, we, we start like a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. anyways, the idea <laughs> is to start. kind of just get it going, you know, yeah. kind of see this as like the, uh, you know, the, the trailer, if you will, and kind of get that one going. And then hopefully next year we can get some more, more people, traction more it. traction yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. You know, and and September just, 10th, the reason you guys chose that day is uh, National Suicide Awareness Day, right? It is, Correct. yeah. So, yeah, it kind of like once again, I think that we've just kind of the, the stars just aligned. I mean, you know, Paul having the free time to do because he's always busy, you know, getting you know, uh, Josh and the guys over at 10th Group involved in it and everything just kind of started to align, you know. You know, uh, Red Leg has been, you know, gracious enough to be like, yeah, absolutely. You yeah, they're awesome. Day. They're military they, friendly. They absolutely crushed it and helped us with that. So mm -hmm. just so far, you know, knock on wood, we, we <laughs> haven't really hit a major hurdle. It's just kind of been coming together really well. Yeah. And ideally the goal, yeah. right, <laughs> overall is for, I mean, people to just come together, share their stories and, and kind yeah. of bond on that. Once again, just what Paul was saying, we just yeah. normalize it. You know, I, I think that, you know, I, I've had. I've seen and been in conversations where I can see people literally avoid the word suicide where we'll, we'll talk around it, you know, and, 
And I just want it to be something that is completely normal for somebody to walk up and ask like, Hey, Chris, are you feeling suicidal and make that normal to ask somebody that. And if they are, then sure, let's, that's okay. You know, it's okay not to be okay, but let's find you some resources and help you out. And that's kind of, I mean, the, why, you know, we're sitting around this table today, like having these hard conversations and, you know, really getting raw about, about that. Um, but I mean, the name of the event, Shadow of Silence, why? That's just what, what uh, Dean was saying here is just, yeah. just stop being silent about this. Talk about it. Make it normal. Make it, uh, I mean, I don't know, obviously not like an everyday word, but like make it what everybody said. Hey, are you feeling suicidal? I'm getting some weird vibes. You know, are you feeling okay? Is there something we can talk about? Because bam, now I have resources for you because mm -hmm. it's that easy. It's that e It should be that easy of a conversation. So shatter that silence of just having, stop, stop hushing, stop saying the S word. Just say it. Also, too, I feel like, you know, the more people that show up, um, the more people there present are going to get the vibe and understand the event. And so then hopefully next year we'll grow and bigger and bigger and bigger. And and that's the goal, you know, is is that this podcast gets bigger because that podcast is going to be out there all day. That the event gets bigger, that the word gets bigger just mm -hmm. and just the awareness is and the spread and uh the prevention is is made real yeah and, and i i won't lie that it was a recent you know suicide death within you know 10th group that that really kind of you know was the for me it was the last straw you know like i had another good friend that passed away from suicide in 10th group a few years ago and you know once you know the most recent guy passed away to suicide you know I, just personally, I was just like, I, I at least had, I don't know if I'm going to accomplish anything, but I'm just going to give it a shot. And so, mm -hmm. of course, I just went to all the smart people. I do what I always do. I really don't know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I just started recruiting people. So I was like, hey, Paul, Eric, yeah. I need your help. And then, you know, and then it led to meeting, you know, Ted, you know, to kind of start getting the word out and just, just, just trying to do it. And so, uh, you know, I simply just had the idea, but all the other people, the ones who put in the hard work to actually make it happen. That's not true, Dean. Yeah. You've, been, you've been working your butt off. And, well, Some days, you know, yeah. you get, <laughs> my battery goes down you yeah. know, I just go over the ball and then he's still, <laughs> still, the light <laughs> still launching fast and hard. But yeah. Like I said, our measure of a human being is a green beret. Yeah. So what you put in every day is, is a lot of work that you don't understand. It, it really is, man. And I, I just, I just know that the, there's not a single person out there that probably doesn't think this is not a good idea this is something that's been long coming and things that i think people have already been doing we're just trying to add to mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. yeah that you know like that's saying that it's not a special forces founded foundation event it's brought to you by the special forces foundation sure this is an event for the entire in partnership with the community and exactly. all other organizations right? because this isn't just a, spe a special forces problem this is an everybody problem yeah and we're not we're not here just to try to save green berets we're here to save everyone anybody we can right mm -hmm. um yeah no i appreciate <clears throat> you mentioning that and i think it's it's hard because we don't want to limit that to anybody mm -hmm. but obviously the reason you guys are here is you know shedding light on a subject matter that normally doesn't ever get talked about yeah. i mean i think mm -hmm. you do probably the the best job public publicly <laughs> Without right a doubt. yeah he's yeah, doing something I mean, super he, awkward it's phenomenal <laughs> Yeah, no, you can it's talk cool. to a camera, just not a human. Same. As long as he's alone in his house or his garage, yeah, yeah it's my safe space. Yeah. <laughs> safe space, and he, he can talk for days. Yeah, no, I, I get that. Um, yeah. The messages that you put out too, and and we 
you know, didn't really get to talk to you like in depth about that, but mm. I just kind of want to revisit that and make sure you had the opportunity to, you know, talk about that. Cause I think that's amazing too. Just as Paul is working with the foundation and Dean's, you know, working on doing TEDx talks and mm. all this other cool advocacy stuff. I mean, equally, um, social media is a huge impact, mm. huge. Yeah. And, and it's incredibly awkward. <laughs> uh, <laughs> awkward? For sure. Yeah. Really? So, social media, because I didn't even have social media like my whole time I was in the army. Right, with, with, right. The, with the exception of like the last six months or so, I started bringing back the Facebook. And I had to figure out how to use that again. And then and then, then Instagram and TikTok and stuff. But, but it is incredibly uncomfortable. And most of that is like self-imposed discomfort because because i always in the back of my head i'm like but you were a quiet professional what are you doing on social media uh, and so a lot of my um i don't know driving force behind me is like am i representing the regiment well uh with with my message and and so whenever i do say something i the intent behind it is to bring some more positivity to the internet because there's plenty of <laughs> shit out there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, so yeah, that's, it's, it is, in, it is uncomfortable, but I think it's, for me, it's a good thing because it's um, kind of pushing my own envelope in that regard. And and again, the, the intent behind it is to help people um, largely. Uh, a lot of my, my following is like veterans and stuff like that, but it's not, exclusive to them and so like helping people find purpose and and create a plan for their life and create that discipline and, and that routine to ensure that when those shitty times come up uh you have you have a plan that you created logically when you were thinking clearly so so if you are in that dark spot you, you have the, the capacity to take a breath set those emotions aside not ignore them and that's something i, I talk about a lot is that I don't want people to mm, ignore their emotions or not feel their feelings, but rather feel them deeply, but don't let them dictate the the decisions and directions you're taking in your life, uh, but rather make sure that you're, you're following a plan and following a plan according to a purpose that you've established based on your own value system, you know? Mm -hmm. So based off of, you know, our discussions earlier mm -hmm. and what you're able to do on social media. I mean, that has a huge reach and I think it can be like negative or positive, sure. uh, of course, yeah. for your mental health. But part of the outreach kind of strategies that you do is you use your social media to uplift people and make a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's wildly successful. I don't I don't know about wildly, but we're we're trying to get there. Uh and and uh yeah, it's it's incredibly awkward and primarily because I'm, I'm always thinking in the back of my head that, you know, we were the quiet professional or I was a quiet professional. Uh, am I betraying that tradition? Am I betraying that legacy by doing what I do? And so every time I, I post something or, or whatever, it's, I'm, I'm kind of filtering it through, am I representing the regiment well? And, and I think I am, I, I think genuinely I'm, I'm trying to bring more positivity to, to the internet in general, which is a pretty large landscape. Uh, but but it is like nerve wracking at the same time. Uh, and again, cause I'm an introvert. Like it's weird having, having a lot of people, uh, look at your face and listen to what, what you have to say. <laughs> so, so my, my intent and my, I guess the driving force behind what I'm trying to do is, is again, spread a little positivity, but, but help people develop develop a purpose based on their own value system and then from that purpose create a plan that they can follow and 
and primarily um, they can fall back on that plan when when the emotional thing happens, when chaos shows up in your life, when the storm hits, uh, you can you can set your emotions aside and fall back on that plan that you've created based on that purpose that you've you've established for yourself. Um, because uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of feeling all of your feelings and and not suppressing your emotions because I don't think that's healthy. But but I am I do think it's important to not let your emotions dictate your decision making process uh, and and kind of the whole suicide thing, you're going through this dark, dark period. And, and those emotions can be rather overwhelming. And, and I don't want you to make a decision based on those overwhelming dark emotions that you, you might be experiencing, but rather acknowledge that, yeah, I'm feeling this right now, but I, I have set up a plan and I set up a purpose for myself. And based on that purpose, I have established a, pl a plan that I can follow on a daily basis with a routine and, and certain things I can do every single day that I can check off the box and give me that psychological wind to, to press forward a little bit. And, and so, so again, those dark periods can be, can be overcome, not ignored, but overcome because you've, you've created this kind of purpose and plan for your life. That's hard to <clears throat> have a response to, Chris. I'm not going to lie. I just feel like I got life coached a little bit. and, and That'll be eight bucks. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I have a lukewarm Starbucks here for you, but um, it's the best I can give you. Um, but you do life coaching on the side. And I think yes, that's probably where like a lot of that philosophical and like lived experience comes mm -hmm. from and, and based off of, you know, you had shared earlier a little bit of your experience. He is being a bit humble about it. He's just really good. I mean, he was built <laughs> to be behind the camera. Like, yeah. I watch his videos all the time. Yeah. I'm just like, Definitely. and it's crazy because, you know, we come from the background. So most of the time I'm watching Chris's stuff and I'm just like, well, yeah, you know, I mean, that's what we do. <laughs> right. But you, then you realize, you know, the Paul's point of just, you know, people never been in, a lot of people have not been inside of the team room. So everything he's saying, like, uh, there's so many people out there who have never even experienced that before. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely, you know, I think you're representing the regiment extremely well. I, I love absolutely. what you're yeah. doing right now. I appreciate so it. So if yeah. anything, I wish we had about 10 more. So <laughs> there's I, only I think, one of me, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could only just replicate Chris a little bit. But, uh, yeah. Hmm. No, it's, well, it's awesome. And, and I appreciate what you're doing to help inspire people. And I think that's, it's hard because for the younger generation too, a lot of people just, you know, they don't want to get help. They don't want to seek outside help or services. Mm -hmm. And it's just like the only thing that they have, like, is this, like yeah. that is yeah, their right. lifeline. Um, so to put out messages like that on social media and like have you as a role model, I mean, you know, like you see all these influencers and it's just so fake, you know? <laughs> right. So the fact that you're able to offer some realness is, I mean, Phenomenal. I appreciate that. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. So what is your handle for people uh, who want to? Okay. If you're looking for me on, on Instagram, it's coach underscore Chris dot Lee. Uh, yeah. And they'll take you to my Instagram and or TikTok. Awesome. Very cool. Thanks. Cindy, that was an extraordinary and very poignant set of conversations with those three men. And, and I just want to just refer briefly back to Paul Watson and mm -hmm. Dean Goble and Chris yeah. Lee, all of the Special Forces Foundation, mm -hmm. all who in some way, shape, or form have walked through fire yeah. to get to these places in their lives. Yeah, and hellfire. Pulling out some of those moments, one of the things that stood out to me, and I, I just want to get your reaction to some mm -hmm. of these things. Um, the story that Chris told, and we know that Chris is very softly spoken, yeah. 
And he may kid around about being an introvert, but he truly is a man who has committed his life now to making a different kind of impact. Mm -hmm. He's overcome that change in his purpose where he could have been languishing under that sense of loss of purpose. So as you and I talk, you'll hear something emerge from that, that these guys have figured out how to get help, how to plug in, how to stay connected, despite those years of that hard wiring of keep it to yourself. Yeah. Broken leg is one thing. Something broken in your mind is keep it to yourself. And they lived that way for what, an average of that 20 years seems each? To, yeah, it seems to be the kind of synonymous factor amongst, you know, all of them in some way, you know, and that's kind of what they're trying to do is, is shatter the silence. Um, I think, you know, you had mentioned Chris and uh, just to hear the vulnerability, uh, all three of them around a table, it's just so unspoken for within the soft community and to hear, you know, every single one of them has had some scenario of extreme, extreme anguish and pain mentally, you know, to the point of where they never wanted to maybe come back from, um, ending it all or taking their own life. How did it strike you when you and Chris were having a conversation and it flows out of him as naturally as we're talking about giving somebody a bouquet of flowers mm. that he had a gun in his mouth one day? I think a majority of us who have gone through circumstances like that do a thing called disassociation. And usually when we're sharing something that deeply or something that is, quote unquote, not the norm, it's not occurring to us that what we're doing is, yeah, not normal. Um, I think for him, it was almost second nature. Um, it's, you know, you can tell he's lived through that. He's processed it. He's healed. And now he is living through um, his purpose and serving others and helping inspire people. But you can tell, you know, I think when, when somebody um, is at peace with that and I mean, there was a very, like you had said, calmness to him when he had shared that. And Chris now does something that I think he calls life coaching in his way. <laughs> yeah, social media, life coaching, the world that mm. is Instagram uh, now. And, you know, it's ever evolving with social media. But he has such a huge following. And he, I mean, I love his videos. I watch them all the time. <laughs> um, but he has a lot of followers and he makes a true impact. And it's just 30 second clips. But messages like we just heard him say, you know, moments ago, of sharing his truth and sharing his way to get over things and triumph. Um, that's exactly what he does for the mass, you know, people on Instagram. And if you want to meet Chris and you want to see some of these videos that we're so inspired by, and that he inspires so many others with having turned his life <laughs> into inspiring and teaching others, it's coach underscore Chris dot Lee. That's coach underscore Chris dot Lee on Instagram. Let's turn to Dean now. Uh, Dean, he's a fun one. <laughs> certainly, certainly has a sense of humor. Yeah, uh, a little bit dry, um, but you know he's still living through some of his trials. So he's reconciling mm -hmm. himself, uh, having lost a family and lost children, yeah. and, and uh, no longer married. And uh, he does have a desire to go and be in a place where he can be at peace for himself. He does have a love in his life. There are good things happening, but. The thing that went through my mind, and I'm wondering what went through yours when you heard him say that he has survived a father 
two uncles and numerous friends and people that he served side by side mm-hmm. with having lost them to suicide. Uh, the question that went through my mind immediately was how are you still standing after that? Mm. That's a question, you know, I think a majority of us don't like to think about. Um, it's hard. Um, I think based off of everything we heard today and what I know, you know, like, I don't think you have the ability to stop and ask yourself, oh, am I okay? No, like you just got to keep going. And Dean is resilient among like many other qualities that he has. And I think he's going through a very big point in his career where he's now going to have to adapt. And it sounds like he has done all that he can to heal through his own lived experiences. But, um, you know, I think a lot of what, you know, the guys that were here today and what we were talking to him about, if you kind of listen to a lot of the conversation, you can hear certain things of when they start to get uncomfortable or, you know, it kind of gets to be pressed a little bit, you know, for some that could look like deflection or making dry humor jokes. For others, it could be a introvertness, you know, for others, it could be extrovertness. Um, everyone has their own different ways of coping through those circumstances. So it was interesting to, you know, see Dean have that very real vulnerable moment because usually, you know, it's very you know, life of the party, center of attention, um, you know, and, 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 that kind of beauty when somebody expresses those like real vulnerabilities. I mean, that's, I'm so grateful that we were able to be here and share that with them. And one of the things that these three men want to accomplish is to help their brothers and help anybody else listening who is struggling with these kinds of issues, uh, military connected or not, is that vulnerability is not a bad thing. It can be very liberating, as a matter of fact. It can be a tie that binds. It can bring people closer Mm -hmm. together when Mm -hmm. you can express that you are in need. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm smiling here and I'm trying to formulate what I'm going to say to you because... I don't like to preach what I don't practice. And uh, uh, this conversation that we had here with these these fine gentlemen uh, reminded me that as much healing as I thought that I had done, I still have a long way to go. And even the word vulnerability makes me uncomfortable still sometimes. Um, but you're right. And I think that shows that I'm afraid of getting close to people. And that is what they're trying to do. They're trying to have those hard, difficult conversations. And they're trying to get to know these people in order to ultimately, as you had mentioned, save a life. Uh, I think it's it's a very sensitive subject for, for a lot of people. And um, like I said, you know, I, I mean, a minute before this, I think a lot of us are just trying to get through the day. So we don't really have time to stop and think about like, you know, these kinds of scenarios or questions. And then our friend, Paul, uh, Paul is kind of leading the charge at the special forces <laughs> foundation here. Yeah. You can tell he's a guy that, uh, a lot of people look up to, they value, they respect, they appreciate. Here's a man who's been through his own stuff. Uh, something that almost took him out, uh, of, of life on this planet, but almost cost him his purpose. And interestingly enough, if you heard this like I heard it, I'd love to get your reaction to this as well. That man's purpose is more important than his life. Mm -hmm. And that rang true with Mm -hmm. our other two guests today. Yeah. 
it seemed to be the the common factor between all three of them. And that's, you know, exactly what they were trying to share and enlighten us about is that, you know, it's not that mental health isn't important. It's not that, you know, they don't want to seek help. It's just that there is such this drive that when it's on, it's on. And unfortunately, there's no turning it off, you know, just like what they had shared about coming home from a deployment. Um, you know, for Paul's situation, you know, he was the chief warrant officers um, in 10th group and he was on a mission and he had a heart attack and he was taken off the team um, in order for him to just I I can only imagine survive. I'm guessing he probably had to emotionally learn how to disengage just to cope, you know, because it went off like that. Like he didn't have any ability to transition much like, you know, some other folks have that opportunity. So for him to now be a leader in this community, um, to be just like, I would say like when I think leaders, I think Paul Watson, you know, and he does it so charismatically too. How could you not love the guy? Um, but yeah, it's, it's gotta be a tough challenge to go through anything like that. And, you know, he's, he's with his wife, they're with their Mm -hmm. children. Uh, they're very much enjoying life, and you can tell what motivates him. Yeah, is seeing others succeed. But he did share his own vulnerable moment. His wife had been gone for days on end, mm. and he was by himself and and had a low point. And um, he he spoke about how close his family has become through this whole ordeal. He was able to call and speak and vent for an hour, and she yeah. called. All of his friends, Chris included, mm-hmm. and uh, they surrounded that man and they kept him here. He he was having a rough moment. Yeah, they anchored him down. You still do. You yeah. still have those moments. Mm-hmm. And wow. that was the other thing too. And and you know, I think my biggest question throughout all of this was, if if you can't rely on anybody, how are the people that love you supposed to help? Uh, you know, I think the answer that they really provided to us was, hey, like sometimes. It may not be your spouse. It may not be your brother or your dad. It may be a scenario of, um, I don't know, maybe a teammate, a former, uh, someone that you have served with, someone that has that understanding, that relatability. And quite frankly, I think it comes down to a respect element. We heard them talk a lot about that today as well. Um, You know, I'm a civilian, so I will never have that understanding uh, that many people do on the front lines. You know, um, I was blessed to be raised in a military family. I've been blessed to go through certain circumstances. I mean, as you have, Ted. Um, But at the end of the day, that separates us from that population. And so, you know, what Dean and Paul and Chris had shared with us, I think they're spot on. And only that message can come from their mouths. And trust was another uh, incredibly important element to them that in order to be able to be vulnerable and seek help, you have to be able to trust. Yeah, that's, (laughs) again, I'm I'm nervous laughing over here um, just because that's that's a hard one. And um, I think everyone has their own ways of dealing with things and, you know, what they're doing maybe could be similar to what you and I are doing. Um, Maybe you and I have had circumstances and we're healing through being the conductor for people to tell their stories and, and for people to, you know, lead with purpose. Um, I think trust is hard among this population because unless you have some sort 
of similarity background or you were in it with them. Um, I don't think there's a lot of wiggling room for trust with these guys. And that's how they like to keep it. And that's why it was so rare for us to be able to hear from them today. This is an incredibly rare, I, I dare say, a unique thing happening here. And um, we we really are talking about shattering the silence. And that's going to lead us to a, another part of the discussion in a moment. I just want to kind of close out here and get your reaction to this and and get a main takeaway from this for you. Because for me, I think Chris said it without saying it. These are people who live their lives for a very long time, especially if they have families or loved ones, being capable of two different things, compassion and killing. Yep. And how do you reconcile <laughs> the two? And how do you not emerge from that after two decades and not be changed? No, I, I, I don't think there's a clear, concrete answer for that. I mean... <sighs> How do you spend, like you had said, that many years wondering about if you're going to have to kill a child or, you know, a mother or a family? Um, how are you bred to do that? Then come home and, and see your wife like with open, loving arms. I, I, it's got to take a strong kind of person and not just limiting that to the soft community, but anybody in general within who has served time in the military. I think I don't know. And, and that's something I'm never going to be able to know. And only they do. And that's why I think it's so important for other people to encourage them to seek help and seek guidance and don't hold on to that. I mean, I can say that that's easy for me because I've never had to kill anybody. Um, but you know, you need to get help. And that's what those guys were saying. Even if you don't, don't let it become a situation where it's going to bog you down. You know, don't wait until it's the last minute until, unfortunately, you know, bring us up again. But Chris, don't wait till you have a pistol in your mouth and it's loaded. You know, like get out there, be proactive and consider stopping the problem before it becomes a problem. Want to offer some resources, contact information, places where you can learn a little bit more not only about the Special Forces Foundation, but about the work that they do. And if you want help, if you want somebody to talk to because you are feeling like uh, you're in that space where you are hurting and um, you've been in some bad places, you want to talk to other people who have been there, lived it, done it, and can talk you through it. Uh, you can reach the Special Forces Foundation at info at special forcesfoundation.org. That's info at specialforcesfoundation.org. You can also look them up online at specialforcesfoundation.org. Again, specialforcesfoundation.org. If you are in crisis, you're having suicidal thoughts or ideations, then we want to recommend you as Special Forces Foundation would to Next Chapter. Uh, you can go to nextchapterco.org, nextchapterco.org. They are, uh, there is a connection here. Uh, Ron Fitch, a uh, Raider Special yeah. Forces, Green Beret guy, right. uh, attached to the rodeo, mm -hmm. also attached to Special mm -hmm. Forces Foundation, and Live This Life With These Guys works with UC Health, and yeah. his project is next chapter. So uh, that leads me to this next. A couple of really cool things going to happen. What you heard today, as we told you in the very beginning, was going to be real and raw and genuine, and it was. You heard three sets of stories from three guys who are encouraging you to learn how to open up, be vulnerable, trust, and talk it out. 
find somebody to talk to. Don't do this stuff alone. Uh, this was part one. We're going to do this again in uh, the very beginning of August. You'll hear another installment of this and you'll hear more from the Special Forces Foundation as the months go by. We're going to get to a really important place on September 10th, Cindy. You want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ted and I are excited uh, to be a part of this as well. And uh, you'll definitely hear us there if you cannot attend. But on September 10th, um, I'm sure some of you may already know, uh, but it is National Suicide Awareness Day. And very exciting opportunity of uh, multiple organizations coming together. Obviously, Mount Karma will be there. Special Forces Foundation is hosting it. And it's going to be at Red Lake Brewing Company. That's off of the Garden of the Gods exit. Um, and it's going to be taking place on the 10th from 11 to 4. And essentially what it aims to do, as Ted had mentioned, uh, shatter the silence. We're trying to... Uh, have this be all about suicide awareness. And it's going to be something more specifically, as Paul had mentioned earlier, for the soft community. But certainly, we don't want to limit anybody um, within any branch or uh, any military service from this great event. Uh, but it's going to be an opportunity for every individual to come out, be vulnerable, uh, be supported by other people, other service members who have been through this scenario and have them uplift you while you're sharing your story. But also, you know, have some, um, you know, have a couple beers if you want, um, grab some food, have a good time, play cornhole, um, just enjoy that camaraderie and that togetherness. That's really the whole point of uh, this event that's going to be taking place all in an effort to shatter the silence. Um, you know, Dean talked a lot about it, but we need to, as a community and uh, as the world, really, um, start talking about suicide more often uh, before we start seeing more obituaries and more people are are just unfortunately overlooked. Um, we're doing all that we can, but as a community, I would definitely want you to come and help this mission. Um, I think it's going to be something where if the more people could become involved in it, I think the bigger the impact that we all could make here potentially. And that's not only helping us, but the stories of the guys that you just heard too, because that means that they're living for a purpose. So we're very excited about this event. Um, and again, that's going to be September 10th from 11 to 4 p.m. at Red Lake Brewing Company. If you came to this podcast because you read the companion piece in the front, which is in the business journal, we can't thank you enough for joining us here. We hope you'll come back for more of these conversations with our friends at the uh, Special Forces Foundation. A new set of guests next time around. I think Paul will join us. Cindy, you'll be uh, masterfully leading that conversation <laughs> as you did today. And was, uh, um, Hopefully this one a uh, little less emotional. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think this is going to be more from the uh, kind of embedded behavioral health team um, mm -hmm. that is employed through the military. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. So we're looking forward to uh, much more to come. And we thank you all for joining us here. Cindy, thank you. Cindy Santafonte, a uh, bright spot on the Veterans Voice team. And we, we can't thank you enough for being here with us. Well, if I heard that word vulnerable more times, then I don't know how bright <laughs> I would be. But no, thanks, Ted. And, and, you know, it's a great conversation to be a part of. And, um, you know, it's uh, something where we just have to continue to work at it every single day. I'm Ted Robertson co-hosting with Cindy Santafonte. You've been listening to the first installment of Shatter the Silence, the next to come. Stay tuned.